0: There is the motherhood penalty. Most women often fall back in their career. It's the complete opposite for men. Statistically, fathers accelerate their earning power above and beyond working mothers, but also above and beyond single women or men. How
1: did you and your husband manage raising children and the sharing of responsibilities in your career and his career? Oh,
0: it was so easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I said no
0: one ever. Honestly, if I look back now, I was probably in denial. I was finding it very very hard to leave her and she did say at the time your father would have wanted you to go.
2: Across the Atlantic she flew to set up pastures anew as she took a new role overseas.
0: I would give that advice to anyone if they're deliberating between a career choice, what's the deciding factor, who am I going to learn the most from?
2: Greetings, I'm Ashley Samuels-McKenzie.
1: And I'm Charles Parkinson. And welcome to How I Became. Where we unveil the unscripted journeys of inspirational figures.
0: Hi, I'm Karina Wilshire and this is How I Became, Partner and Global CEO of Anomaly.
2: If you enjoy the show, could you do one thing? Subscribe. Wherever you are, just click the subscribe or follow button. That simple act can help us grow the podcast in a big way and we need your support to do it. And if you really want to help play a part in our growth, rate us on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world. Thank you. The youngest of five siblings with heritage between the UK and Malaysia, this guest's story features some pivotal moves. With early experiences in TV production, who could have guessed advertising would be the career she would choose? Rising up through the ranks, she continued steadfast in her vision to then becoming a mother, One son first, then another, increasing the weight to all of her decisions. Across the Atlantic, she flew to set up pastures anew as she took a new role overseas. Then flying back over into London, not Dover, as she moved up again to a role globally. You may have heard bits and pieces, but now hear her story from birth until now honestly. Introducing Karina Wilshire, Partner and Global CEO of Anomaly.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Wow. There you go. My first ever poem, <laughs> other than for my children, but yeah.
1: Well, you'll get two today. There's oh, at the amazing. Well. Spoil. Um, this is the story of how you became partner and global CEO of Anomaly. I think your story is brilliant for those who want to take the risk of leaping into a startup, which mm-hmm. you've kind of done twice. Yeah, with Fallon yep. and Anomaly getting in at the early stages. Yeah, and uh, how to pick winners—both very <laughs> successful yeah. agencies. Yeah, both of which you you rose, you know, to very senior levels. Um, so yeah, if you're looking to join a small company, a startup, and uh, and get to the the top and get to partner level, this is a great story. Um, so let's let's dive into it. But just first, give some context. Anybody who's not in advertising doesn't know who Anomaly is and the size and the scale of it. Give us some context.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, as the name would suggest, we're quite a unique uh, proposition. Uh, So we've got six offices around the globe, um, two in the US, one in Canada, two in Europe and one in China. Um, And essentially we set up the company almost 20 years ago now, but to be um, a better better answer for clients. So as the name suggests, we're very unique in terms of what we do, quite difficult to define, but in a nutshell, quite a sort of end-to-end agnostic marketing services. So we do everything from upstream innovation, new product development, we develop our own IP and products and services, right through to big Super Bowl spots and global campaigns and kind of everything in between.
1: Is this because in in the description, if you look up Anomaly, you you see it says it's a new model agency. Yeah. What is the new model aspect to it?
0: Yeah. Well, if you think about, um, you know, the landscape, the industry landscape is incredibly siloed, right? So clients have a particular business challenge or a problem. If they're going to an ad agency, whatever is the right answer, the answer from that company is going to be an advert. Same if they go to an innovation company, same if they go to a design company. So it's extraordinarily limited. And what we've done is set up a different type of model, which is completely agnostic. We listen really, really hard to what the challenge is or the question. And we're able to answer that by any means necessary because we've invested in a really broad, diverse range of talent and skills. So you're kind of, the premise is, we're, we're, we're built to do the right thing rather than have, I guess, a sort of pre predetermined answer that you're trying to sell mm. to a client.
1: Mm. I get it, okay. Um, and, uh, and when you joined, how many offices were there?
0: So when I joined, there were three.
1: Okay, and now yeah. there's six. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen it on quite a, a growth journey. Yeah, We'll get into all of that. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Where does life begin? Paint us a picture of your early years
0: and how it kind of shaped who you are today. Okay. Um, Life began uh, in very glamorous Watford. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But very quickly, i.e. within a couple of months, um, we moved to Malaysia. So I'm actually half Malay, half English. So my father was English, my mum's Malay. Um, And I'm the youngest of five children. Um, I guess no one necessarily has a, you know, uncomplicated family, but mine's fairly uh, interesting. So both my parents were uh, had previously been married and divorced. Um, So my mum had uh, a boy from her first marriage. My father had a boy and a girl from his first marriage, separated, divorced, met, met each other, fell in love, and then had my brother and I so we were um especially back in the 1970s quite a unique mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of model of a family um did you all grow up together all the, the we all the grew kids? up together but um you know i i was quite a tomboy because i had three older brothers mm-hmm. um and my sister is the eldest of the five but the age gap was quite you know quite significant mm-hmm. so I remember her at home but not not too much um because then she moved to sort of go to college and things like that um but yeah it was kind of like um you know quite an interesting looking family I guess because of the mix of ethnicity that we that we had and that was quite rare at the time where I was growing up
1: what was it like growing up with siblings who were from from an, obviously
0: another marriage and yeah. how did it what, what were the dynamics like with it as kids it was a big family, and my parents weren't. You know, they had to work incredibly hard to bring up five kids. Um, my mum actually had never ever been to the UK before, wow. so um, it's the they first met. Time she visited. The, yeah, so well, they met in Malaysia because yeah. um, my father was working out um, in Malaysia. He was running a rubber plantation in in a, in Malaysia, and that's where they met. They fell in love. And then he came back to the UK and convinced my mum to, um, you know, come with him. And she'd literally never, ever been to the UK before. Um, So she arrived, she tells the story, she arrived in the middle of the winter, never seen snow before. Um, So I just kind of grew up going, that was like the most amazing love story, really, to follow your heart and kind of mad, to move to a place that you didn't know. But I think travel has been... Clearly, part of my story, I guess. Yeah, and
2: you mentioned that you had a really close relationship with your father. What yeah. do you remember of him, and what were the values that that he passed down to you and your siblings?
0: I mean, he he was an he was an amazing father. He was very strict, uh, to be honest. Um, he was ex army. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was from the north of England, so he was pretty, you know, pretty straight and uh, strict father. Um, And I guess I grew up under the sort of understanding of, you know, the importance of hard work. Um, He actually, uh, he had a day job, he was, you know, a businessman, Um, but he would get up at the crack of dawn um, to work in the local bakery um, before, and then come back, do a shift at the bakery, come back change into his suit and then go to work to his 9 to 5 um so he had two jobs so he ha- he had two jobs wow. um not not the whole time when i was growing up but definitely at the beginning in 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 an effort to support five children wow. um so yeah so I, I i think i always grew up knowing the importance of work uh during the summer holidays at school he used to give us my brother and i um like homework we had to write projects for the whole summer and um which I was such a swot I really loved and my brother absolutely hated (laughs) neither he nor my mum had ever been to university but it was very it was just it was an assumption that we would go to university so I think he set quite clear aspirations for us in in terms of wanting us to do well wanting us to work hard wanting us to go to university I remember um my brother who's two years older than me when we were kids, we'd jive past the boys' grammar school and my dad would say, that's the school that you're going to. Um, And he'd say the same to, I went to the girls' grammar school. It was just kind of part of what his expectation was. Mm -hmm. Um, And as he he became older and he retired, um, I saw a much different side of him. I mean, obviously he was incredibly loving especially to my mom and he it was it was a really really uh, very very wonderful fan i was kind of fortunate we had such a wonderful family life um but when he retired from his own career um he became a lot softer and uh he was an extraordinarily proud father and grandfather you get into the creative
1: world yeah creative industry eventually you are quite a creative child we're sitting here with a, a an actress oh in God. our midst, <laughs> <laughs> a professional so actress. So cheeky! <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your acting career.
0: Oh, how mortifying! Um, yes. Uh, okay. I'm um, now. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. gonna, I'm gonna reveal. Okay. Go for so it. I. Um, I was a child <laughs> model. Um, uh, And I got bored of doing that um, when I was about 9 or 10 or something like that and actually was just really, really interested in drama. Um, And so I did a lot of local theatre groups and I had an agent and that's when I started to do kind of professional work. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, yeah, child equity um, status and did... Various TV programs um, and radio programs. Can we find any on YouTube? That is the question. Embarrassingly, yes. Uh, well, I, I assume so. I mean, I've been told so. I... <laughs> what would what would we search? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, the the one that I th- have I've been told is on YouTube um, is a show called Chocky's Challenge. Um, so I was on that um, when I was twelve. Um, and, uh, it's based on a book by John Wyndham called Chockey. Um, and the premise is I played a child protege, (laughs) um, who could telepathically talk to Chockey, who was this sort of like alien figure. Um, so there you go. You've now managed to get that out of me right, he's, searching. Uh, I'm, I'm searching, just, now. he's searching how do you spell so, chockies? so it's c-h-o-c-k-y-s
1: uh oh we've got we, we've got the complete series so <laughs> oh, uh, no yeah that's just here
0: the other thing that's really embarrassing is that it coincided with the time that i had a mullet
1: oh like ooh, wow yeah even better, yeah, even better yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's
0: just like it's that's a it's a win win for you. Yeah, this yeah. is gold. I yeah. mean,
1: not so helpful for the the Apple Podcast listeners. <laughs> Doesn't make great podcast material, but oh, for uh, those watching on YouTube, um, I'm now searching through Chucky's challenge. Uh, You'll find uh, it. We we'll put it up on the
0: screen. I would. Yeah. Are
1: um, you in every I, episode?
0: I'm in every episode other than the first. Oh,
1: that, I just looked at the first. That was yeah. The first time.
0: Let's, let's 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 move on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know what we've got time you know Don't so have to be i when i went um point. when i
0: joined anomaly new york um yeah. i was there for several years before i realized that um people actually knew it as well <laughs> knew about it right and uh i was pleasantly surprised to walk into um an all agency meeting uh and be completely surprised by someone who had found everything on YouTube yeah. and there was just <laughs> in front of the whole agency, huge screen of no. 12-year-old Karina <laughs> with a Chris Waddle haircut.
1: <laughs> who is this person? I need to reach out to them. I know, I was... Eric
0: DeMassa. All right, he, he'll hook you up CMO. With, yeah.
1: with clips. Oh I can't find any good, the right bits. Good. so i've had you, my you peop- have- I've
0: had my people scrape it yeah yes. you it. Scra- clearly,
1: <laughs> clearly escaped that one
0: uh, what a shame. so
2: from from here from from t v appearances, where does your spark of love for the advertising industry begin?
0: yeah, I mean i did I was attracted to call brands and creativity I guess in the broadest sense as a as a you know when I was younger without knowing what that really meant so yeah um you know I'm a I'm a kid of the 80s in so much as that was a formative time for me um as a teenager so if I think back to you know the 80s it was like in a way, golden era of advertising. It was like big, you know, just going to the cinema, seeing things like the Levi's ad, Nick Heyman starring in Laundrette was just like, it was pop culture, peak pop culture, Mm -hmm. I think at, at, at that point alongside, you know, Wham and Madonna and wanting to be a yuppie. And that was just the, that when you're a 12 year old or a 13 year old, that's kind of, you just look up to those cultural aspirations, I guess. But I wouldn't say, I could articulate that to go, I want to go into advertising or, or anything like that. And candidly when I, uh, so I read English literature at university. Um, and the only thing that I wanted to do when I graduated was to travel. So I had um, been lucky enough or determined enough to, to, I took a year out before I went to university and I took a year out after I went to university. Cause I was just super keen to see the world and travel Um Again, probably partly inspired by my parents. My mum had clearly made, um, you know, travelled from one part of the world to another um, for, for love. Um, my father had joined the army as a way of being able to travel. Mm. Um, so I think that was just a, a passion um, from family instincts and, and, and values. Um, uh, so when I got back from travelling after university, It was only then that I really kind of was focused on okay what do I need to you know what what should I do as a career and um, you know naively thinking I was behind because all my friends from university and mates had already started their careers and been working for a year. Um, So I knew I wanted to get into media or one of the creative industries. I didn't honestly really know the difference. I was looking at media i was looking at publishing pr advertising um and i would i'm just very you know glad that i i got a job in advertising and um you know and i just thrived i i, I, I love the industry i loved the people that it attracted you were quite bold
1: i think i don't know if it was your first or second job in your application what did you say
0: yeah it was my first job i i <laughs> I think now I was probably quite bold, but at the time I think I was just being honest, you know. So I, (laughs) my father told me that I needed to have some skills because I'd been too busy travelling, so um, he suggested that I learnt to type, which obviously makes me sound about 103. (laughs) Um, And I was really, really good and fast at typing. Valuable skill. Uh, Well, it was at the time. um, So I... Um, was put up for a job as the um, assistant for the head of account management at a through-the-line agency. Um, And in my interview, I was just very open and said, look, I really, really want this job, but I want this job because... Not because I want to do this job for a long time. I want this job to get into the industry um, and I want to learn a lot. Um, and thankfully, he hired me. And within, um, I think it was like six weeks, um, he promoted me into the oh,
1: good. account management department. I love that. I mean, basically, you're saying, look, I don't really want this job, but I'll do this job. But I'll for a do bit. it. If you give yeah. me the next one. Yeah, Which... if I
0: can prove myself and 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 do it. And and it was, you know, the agency doesn't exist anymore. It was a through the line agency that was part of um, the BBDO network, mm-hmm. um, but it was. You know, it was super scrappy and it was on the job training. It wasn't glamorous. You know, I was doing a lot of kind of, you know, retail and point of sale and things. But it was awesome for someone who is keen and, uh, you know, eager to learn. And you Mm. you just have a lot of responsibility in agencies like that because there's very few layers. And Mm. you're all pushing to manage the work that is presented to you. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any, I guess, more strategic career path. It was like, you're in, keep going. Get
1: stuck in. Yeah. yeah. I guess probably helpful, foreshadowing a bit in joining sort of startups.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, um, and also I think there's a great lesson there. Just be honest and clear about what yeah. you want in an organization. Yeah.
0: I, I hope I'm never in a position where I'm, you know, overconfident or anything like that. It was just like I had, some clarity and confidence to be transparent about what I wanted to do. And I think to your point, I think that is, you know, you need more of that. Mm -hmm. You, you, people want, um, people to be very open about who they are, what they want. And, um, and it actually makes it a lot easier to manage people, Mm. I think. Um, and so i did that for 2 years and then similarly i thought i had learned what i could from from that company um again not arrogantly but what i wanted out of it i had i had got and i was just craving perhaps um going back to the sort of the glitz and the glamour or perceived glitz and glamour of advertising there was you know back in the day it was like you're below the line or you're above the line. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to get above the line into <laughs> advertising. And uh, low Howard Spink was one of the most awesome creative agencies in London um, at the time and was doing real iconic advertising um, campaigns. So that was where I wanted to work. And, again, I, I think I lucked out. I literally just wrote a letter to... Um, one of that there the was a joint heads of account management, but I wrote a letter to one of them, and he called me in for an interview, um, and uh, yeah, he had his. I remember it really clearly because I've, I thought it was the most exciting thing. He had his like, <laughs> he had his his feet on the table, and he swore loads, and I was like, oh my god, this yeah. is just like so cool, <laughs> um, and yeah, and he offered me a job. Would you chat to your dad about your career moves?
1: Would you say, look, I'm thinking about this and thinking of that? And
0: yes, yeah, yeah. So he, he de- de- definitely, I mean, he didn't know the industry at all. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, he ended up in graduate training and recruitment um, for ICI and Imperial College. So he was connected to, I guess, career development. Um, but he didn't know the creative. Uh, industries at at all that wasn't his world Um, he was very proud of me getting my first job he was very proud of me working at Low Howard Spink he used to you know it's a it's of an age right so he used to say things like always dress for the the role above you Mm. um, and and things like that but um, which probably doesn't really translate to nowadays but I think what he meant was you know not to not to limit your opportunities and not to limit a perceived position um, that you're in and um, I think he was he was probably when I did decide to move from Lowe's to um, Fallon he was he he was more curious or questioning it a little bit because Fallon was unproven um, and Lowe, you know Lowe's was such a big institution it was in Knightsbridge and you know all of these things that again have carry some weight to a parent um uh but he never ever you know dismissed it or tried to talk me out of it he would just made me sort of um go through the thought process I guess mm-hmm.
1: was that did you feel like you were making a brave move because you 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 spent two years at yeah. Low House Bink and then yeah you- Move to this, you know, like you said, it's a big established agency. Yeah. Now you go to this little startup, and yeah. your what role do you come into? And uh, yeah, what what was the th- thinking behind it?
0: Yeah, I just again, I'm I've always been driven by uh, wanting to keep learning, and um, Low Howard Spink had just merged at the time. Um, So it was become it it had become low Lintas. And um, I think with any big merger, obviously, you know, there were, you know, not to say it wasn't a successful merger, but but at those moments in time, it, of course, creates a shift in the status quo, it makes people reassess. um, And at that particular time, um, yeah, there were quite a few of us who were considering what the future is, and I had been there. Um, just shy of two a year and a half, just shy of two years, um, and I, I I just wasn't excited by the future proposition. Whereas Fallon was literally the talk of the town at the really? time. It was it was a Why? hot because it was the newest hot creative startup. It was unproven, but it had um, you know the founders especially rich and andy who are the uh, ecds the creative team you know they've been attached to loads of great work i had um spent my time at low spink really really enjoying the craft of creativity and learning the craft of creativity and spending tons of time uh with creatives um you know i was lucky enough i worked with um you know, Vince Squibb, Paul, the late Paul Silber, and do, doing some, like, amazing um, uh, campaigns from Smirnoff, to, like, big bra- big brands, Olympus Cameras with Tony Kay and Joan Collins. And so it was really driven by creativity, and I learned things like, you know, I poured over the d annual, and I was just exposed to this level of creativity that I hadn't really had at McBain's. Um, and so Fallon... I think for me, represented quite an exciting change. It represented um, the a, 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 a real ambition of creativity, but it also had that small, scrappy, it was a startup, so it had that kind of scrappiness mm. where, and I think that's what I'm always, you know, drawn to. Mm. So you joined in March 2000, Fallon. Yeah. You're the
1: fourth... Count person that they, something like that, yeah. Uh, I think right. I was
0: employee fourteen, so I think there was like yeah.
1: Wow, so yeah. not many people.
0: No, we all sat around one big table. Ah, yeah. So I went from having bizarrely having an, my own office that I shared with one person um, at Lowe's because that's what you did at the day back in the day uh, um, at Lowe's to basically the whole agency on one table. Oh,
1: so you'd work from this one table all together?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you would. Over the
1: next 10 years, between then and, well, I don't know the date you first became partner, but you had eventually become partner and managing director of this startup. Yeah. How did you do it? Talk us through how someone goes from employee number 14 to managing director. Mm.
0: I didn't do it consciously in terms of, I didn't go in there going, oh, here's an opportunity for me to accelerate or fast track my career. I just... I think some people um, have the ability or the desire to map out a career path or or, or a plan or have these you know five year plan three year plans or whatever. And I actually have never ever done that, but I I have always wanted to be really good at what I do. Um, and so I think the benefit of being in a smaller startup is there is nowhere to hide right Mm. and so that really works for some people and it doesn't work for other people Mm, right you can you can be in a big company and you can be lost and you can coast and people don't even notice and that's why you come across you know candidly senior execs who you know maybe aren't quite as talented as a lot of people that they're supposed to be leading whereas um in a small company and a company that has you know it, its reason for being was to you know to to create a a, a new legacy in the mm-hmm. London advertising industry then you don't have anywhere to hide and I think I was therefore able to just do well like you know I just whatever I worked on we were all incredibly um passionate about the work it was all about the work. Um, and it was just a great, it was a great, great environment.
1: So for somebody listening who's in an organisation, doesn't need to be an advertising agency. Yeah. And they want to know, you know, they are ambitious. Yeah. They want to, to, to rise up. Yeah. What did you do at Fallon to to, to yeah to get to managing director? Yeah, yeah.
0: Partner. I believed in the collective agenda, right? And what I mean by that is know why you are in a company know what the company is looking to achieve um and hopefully you're fortunate enough to be in a company that has a clear mission and if that mission aligns with your own personal values then you know you the context is really really good because you you can you, you can thrive in an environment where your personal values align with company values and then you just take the responsibility and and I've always been again probably harking back to being a kid but felt accountable to to deliver Mm. um and I think that is recognized by you know now if I think I think about the people in you know anomaly and the people who do well it's people who really lean in and 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 want to want to deliver and want to achieve something that perhaps is above and beyond just, you know, is beyond a job Mm -hmm. because they're passionate about what they do. And that isn't necessarily for everyone. But if you are in a company that has big ambition and is bold in terms of what it's setting out to do, then um, as long as you subscribe to that and you hold yourself accountable to... You know, leaning in. You know, I'm I, I'm kind of a all in. You know, I'm an all or nothing person. I think, yeah. and 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 once I'm in, I'm all in sort yeah. of thing. And so I think that's what I did um, at Fallon, and and hopefully I, hopefully I did it in a way that is it's very much about, it was very much about we we had this phrase at Fallon it was like we are Fallon, um, and so it was. I would never say family because I don't think work is family but it was super tight as a crew and as a tribe. as a as a tribe and mm. um and again at that period of my life you're you're really developing as a as a human you know and 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 going through significant stages in your own personal life and when that combines with a work environment where you feel like you're really aligned many of my you know still now many of my very very good friends are from that um from that period and they're the people that you work with you you go to the pub with they're at you know they were at my wedding they were you know that that it it builds such a fundamental um connection um and I think that is Rather than seeing that as, oh, they've, you've blurred work and life to such a degree. There's so many positive things, I think, that came from that.
1: I think you're probably hearing it too, Ash. There's a lot of things you've said there that are really common threads in these interviews we do. Right. These stories. Yeah. Only one out of, <laughs> by by, the, by at the moment we've done probably 30, your 39th story. Okay. story. Of all the CEOs we've spoken to in yeah. that time, only one has said they set out to be a CEO. Right, that was the plan. Yeah, most say they don't have a career plan. Right, most say that they're about doing the work really well, yeah. doing yeah. their responsibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. another one is you. You would say yes to things and be up for doing things yeah. and just say just say yes. Yeah, that was one yeah. thing Phil Thomas at Canlines. Yeah, said he would just say yes to stuff. Yeah, same. Paul Paul Bainsfair, who became CEO of Sarchi yep. he'd be the one. Just be that person where probably not many people want to do it. Put your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, and it just creates this like, okay, yeah, she, she or he is one of us. You know, mm-hmm. she's getting involved. Yes, and you you sort of build that reputation of being someone who can be relied on.
0: Yeah. Yes, def- de- definitely. And 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 I think I think my 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 only build on that is. I, I'm a I I am a big believer in saying yes, and because that sort of, you know, even when it's a bit uncomfortable, it pushes you to. I and mean, then once you've s- said yes, then you have to figure out how you do, it, do it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, that is the sort of startup culture. It's much more entrepreneurial. You know, you you are kind of how do you continue to always play the ball forward? I I, I think for sure is a my 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 only build is um, equally. Doing it in an, a, doing it in a culture and an environment that really works for you. Because I think you could do all of those things and find yourself in a leadership position, but not necessarily working with a team of people mm. that you, mm. you know, like and respect. Mm. And I think the real magic and what I feel, especially lucky to have done is both at anomaly and at fallon found a group of people where um i i, I can develop and i can obviously achieve with people that i want to be doing that with mm. i would i would never take a role or a title i would you know i would counsel against that just if okay you can be a C- ceo but are you a ceo in the company that you want to Mm. spend your time in yeah with people that you want to you know work with I, th- I think another thing is like
1: a very common thread is people some people have mentioned it called it they bet on a horse or they, someone said advise betting on three horses people in the company you think are going to rise up building a relationship with them some of them have, have called it slipstreaming. so you yeah. you you've, build this relationship with someone higher than you and as they go up they sort of pull you up with them but everyone seems to have this theme where they start to build this good con- deep connection with people who are rising or at the top of the company yeah and sort of rise together because you all rely on each other you're all together yeah that seems to be a key theme and i think if you're not getting if you're not finding that at the company you're at because they're not your people Mm. Then you should leave.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And I think, so I, so and so. I think that's the really important bit that you said at the end, because otherwise it could sound uh, candidly, it could sound quite political, right? Yeah. If you're slipstreaming mm. or you're identifying the person who's like, it and you go, "Oh, I'm going to kind of like ride on their coattails." To me, that could easily tip into office politics and yeah. and and a m- much mm. more cynical kind of way of. Rising to the top or anything mm. like that, yeah. and I, but actually the 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 real bit is what you said at the end, which is if you're in a group of people and you are acting more as a collective, yeah. then that's what you want, right? Or or all, 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 yeah. all boats rise, right? Yeah. So you you want to be part of a winning team yeah. for sure, mm. um, and success begets success. Absolutely. So whether that's Fallen or anomaly you once you're in the zone you are there is like amazing amazing momentum to that and i think
2: being in the zone and being in the right environment will mean that naturally authentically you might see as, as as charles said there's been different strategies but i feel like everyone that we've spoken to whichever strategy they they saw that they they were imploring it was from a genuine place because the environment cultivated them to be like that yeah, and I think that's the most important. Going back to the the other point of, if you're not in the right place, leave. Yeah. If you are in the right place, yeah. you'll be able to rise.
0: A hundred percent. And again, I couch all of this of just in a way of you know, if you are able to make those decisions, but I I do think if you're in an environment that isn't right for you, you have to have the confidence, and it might not you might not have the conditions to do it immediately. Mm-hmm. But you have to have the confidence to know that that isn't the right place for you and leave. And and actually, there was a real pull for me to join Fallon. But there was also a context, um, you know, that I, I didn't want to be part of anymore. Um, and I didn't, I no longer believed in, you know, some of the people that were in theory uh, in charge of my career um because of you know some some things that had happened at the time and so uh again just having the the confidence to not stand for things that you you wouldn't tolerate out of work yeah. then you don't have to tolerate them at work and that that is quite a you know that's quite a difficult thing to get your head round when you are younger in your career mm. because There's a responsibility and there's a, there's a weight and, you know, you, you, you feel like you are obliged to adhere to certain things and, you know, because someone is more senior or anything like that. But, um, again, that would be my, my biggest, one of my biggest pieces of advice to, to people coming up through the, the, the ranks is never, never feel obliged to tolerate things at work that you frankly wouldn't tolerate outside of work Mm. and, and, and being able to act on that and, and move. And, and, and that was the, you know, it was such a turning point for my career um, joining Fallon. And if I hadn't had the confidence to do that, then, you know, it would be obviously a different, a, a, a different story.
1: It was while at Fallon 2008, you, you get some very bad news and, you know, we go through, you're going through your career professionally, but at the same time, you've got a personal life, going on Tell walk us through this the story of um you lost a, a very close person to you
0: uh yeah so yeah my, my my father um my father passed away um very suddenly he had a heart attack um and so you know that was obviously an incredibly significant moment in my life and my family's life do you remember the day you found found out the news yeah, I, I I remember it very very vividly. Um, I'd actually been to I'd actually been to lunch with my um, CFO, and uh, it was in a restaurant that was you know sort of lower ground, so I didn't have um, cell service. And I came out and I'd had a missed call from my brother, mm-hmm. and um, so immediately called him back, and he uh, told me that my dad had been rushed to hospital in an ambulance um so I went back to the office to get all my stuff and and again you know you're it's such a punctuation to everything um in that moment and um everyone rallied right and so I was it was a bit of a blur but I remember you know one of my colleagues at the time called a cab put me in a cab um and so um yeah i was i was actually in a cab um from the office going home uh you know i, I, I called my husband uh to obviously explain what was happening mm. so that we could drive down to kent where um my father where the the hospital where my father was um and so i was in a taxi on the way back home uh when i got another call from my brother um uh, you know that was the call to tell me that my dad had died um so that was kind of obviously <laughs> uh really really tough and you're on your own in the back of a cab um getting that news um uh, you know so
1: only a short period of time it like
0: yeah t- i mean it was it was no time at all yeah it was no time was at there time. had you was there any build up to this did you know he no. was unwell no no it was it was a it was a heart attack so it was out of nowhere um. Yeah. And so. And I now. I. I always think. Oh, that poor cabbie, you know. And he's like, gone back to the end of his day. He's like, Oh, how was the day at work? And he's like, Oh, God, that's a story. I'm sure he. He. He won't remember. But, uh, I mean, he will remember as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. It was. It was awful. It was awful.
1: What goes on in that period when you. You know, you. You have to leave work and then you have to go and deal with this personal situation. How. How did you handle it?
0: Um. I mean, I think this is probably quite common and definitely given the job I have, I kind of went into account man mode, Uh, so I busied myself with organising, you know, so we had obviously the affairs to look after and organise the funeral and look after my mum, and so you're in, you're in, you know, I think I was just in account man mode and I'm busy, making all the plans and, um, you know, obviously with my siblings, but, but, um, uh, it was really led by my, my, my brother and I, and, and, uh, that was just, it was probably a comfort zone for me to be the person organizing it all. Um, uh, and I was pregnant at the time. So it was also oh. <laughs> like, it was, it was wow. just, it was a lot, I think. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. How did you sort of manage your um your emotions and process it at the time and did you yeah did you work with family and around
0: that yeah I mean I think I look back now and I think I probably didn't process it it's is the truth and that's um partly because that's not I'm not especially good at that on honestly and I think that is again you uh you are your own person but you're obviously informed by you know everything around you and and my father definitely wasn't someone who who you know was was especially emotive and um and similarly culturally my mum coming from malaysia that's you know uh, uh, as a woman in malaysia that's not necessarily something that is um so Yeah, awkward Brit and (laughs) (laughs) and responsible Malaysian woman. Uh, So yeah, it was was not necessarily an environment where you're like, oh, tell me more about your feelings. That that just uh, and a generational thing. So I don't think I really did process it. And as I said, I think I went into dealing with it for sure just by organising, and then. I became very, very focused on looking after my mum and making sure that she was okay. And so you don't necessarily, you don't spend a lot of time, or I didn't spend a lot of time, thinking about myself. And I, I don't think I often do. Um, you know, you're working your your job. Your your job, especially as a suit, your job is to. Make things happen, lead, organize—you uh, know—strategically set a, a plan, but get everyone, you know, to 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 the direction that you you would like them to go. Um, as a mother, you, you know, you you you're you're constantly in a role where it's very much about um, others. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, I think it's fascinating that and
1: when you tell the story of that very sad day, you still think of and think to mention the taxi driver, yeah. <laughs> how oh God, yeah. difficult it was in yeah. his day, yeah. you know, which is, I don't, not not yeah, everyone would Yeah, I haven't say even that. thought about that before, actually. Yeah.
0: It yeah. just
1: comes from this sort of... Constantly thinking about others and how others are feeling and how their day will be and
0: God yeah how rubbish I need to be more focused on myself no I mean I I yeah I, that's really a, a very odd obs- astute observation yeah I hadn't I've ever thought about that before. but I think it's, yes. at the same time it's yeah. an amazing
1: quality yeah, yeah, it's yeah. An amazing quality and
2: from what we've seen of the many different CEOs and leaders we've spoken to that people first approach. Yeah. It's something that then allows the capacity to lead on on
0: bigger, yeah. bigger scales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think for sure, and especially now, of course. But I, I've always been, you know. How how can, how can you lead if people don't want to follow you? And I think people look to follow people who there is a sense of mutual trust and that they have their interests Mm -hmm. as well as company interests and personal interests, of course. But that's such a, for me, that's such a fundamental part of leadership. I think management, you can manage people and you can manage budgets and you can manage companies, but to truly lead, I think you have to, I think people have to be inspired by a sense of mutual trust and belief that you're you know you want the same things mm.
1: what was it like because you, you obviously had a very close relationship with your father he was a confidant you talk about career you talk about life I guess yeah what is it like to to lose someone like that how was that I,
0: as I said I think I, I honestly if I look back now I was probably somewhat in denial for a good while and you know there's he was a big music fan and there's like music that I still Struggle to listen to really Mm -hmm. um and i moved you know we moved to the states um a year probably about a year and a half definitely shy of two years after his death and 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 i think somehow that was probably related to it Mm um uh not not I mean, in, in in a way, I think in a, in a good way, in so much as it was very very difficult to, um, because I be- obviously was so much more conscious of my mum being on her own and wanting to be there for her and to look after her. So it was quite a compromising um, decision. You know, it was quite a diff. It was a very very difficult decision, and um, my mum's amazing and has always been. Um, just the most loving, the most supportive, the most generous—the sort of classic maternal figure—and everything mm-hmm. is for everyone else. And uh, but she—I she, I remember when I was sort of—I was finding it very, very t- hard to decide to 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 leave her. And she did say at the time, um, you know, your your father would have wanted you to go. Oh, wow. There's there's no question he would have wanted he would have been proud of you to go and stuff like that and and I and I knew that and I believed her I didn't think she was just saying that to to uh to so so there was good things about that but equally there was also I think a sense of having a bit of a fresh start and getting away from you know things and as I said I I well, I had the, I had then now a, 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 a one year old um, as well as well as a four year old, and um, I think it was just an opp- it was just an opportunity as a family as well to 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 make a fresh start and a change. So,
2: you leave Fallon after ten years, rising up to managing director yeah. and partner, to flying across the pond to New York City. Yeah, New York you City. Your role as partner and CEO of Anomaly what are the decisions that someone or yourself and you think other people would need to go through when they're thinking about moving to a different country for yep. a role?
0: without sounding glib. Don't spend too long making the decision. Yeah. Um, because I think if you over, you know, if you spend too much time, you know, people, I know people write pros and cons and they do all the diligence and everything. And I think I didn't do any of that. I, I, it was considered for sure, right? It wasn't on a whim at all. It was considered, but it was an instinctive move. And I think um, people can tie themselves in knots trying to make big decisions. And actually what typically happens is they procrastinate. They give, they don't say yes, right? Going back to what we were talking about because they're just overthinking about it. And, uh... And I think for me, it was, as I said, instinctive. It was it was a moment as a family. I was incredibly excited by the, opportun- the job itself, the opportunity. It wasn't like I had always wanted to go and live in New York. I'd never had an ambition to, despite my love for travel, I never had an ambition to want to make it in America or work, you know, any of those things. I just didn't have any of that, but I was extraordinarily excited about um, anomaly as a company um and uh, i also thought more about if i said no i would regret that more than some of the other things so so if i'm honest I, we were at a quite a crossroads and i had quite i had a few options um which of course included continuing at, at fallon but what it were was, the other options I mean the other options I mean we you know there were serious conversations about start up um in London
1: or well, starting being part of starting your own yeah
0: okay yeah wow. yeah yeah, and yeah, no, and there were kind of different avenues i would say there were there were definitely three avenues that were all incredibly exciting and and uh interesting um But I chose Anomaly, again, not because of New York, but because of Anomaly. And um, going back to, I think, every move in my career has been inspired by feeling an excitement about doing something different and learning more. And because of our proposition and because of the model and it not being just an advertising agency, it was the one that was represented the biggest learning curve for me so you join anomaly as president
1: of the new york office
0: yes yeah so i joined the partnership and um so you joined
1: as a partner yes
0: yeah yeah
1: break that down for us what does that mean
0: uh well anomaly was set up like there were five founding partners right. and so i was the uh, first partner to join
1: them i see how Um, long has the company been going when you joined
0: um now you're testing me uh six years something like that okay yeah
1: so a little while but still it's still in sort of startup phase
0: yeah um and it was a very clear brief honestly it was you know come in and help develop the office scale the office um Establish some of the fundamentals. Um, so I was quite, I was quite comfortable with that part of the brief because I I, I felt that that's what I had done um, at Fallon and and helped grow that company successfully. Um, the bits that I were completely new to me above and beyond the market were. Um, you know the other disciplines i suppose that we offer so whether that was innovation and design and things like that would which that's what was really exciting, exciting for me to to not know things did you negotiate becoming a partner was that
1: on the table when they offered it or did you put that on the table
0: no it was on it was on the table i was a partner at fallon in london and and again i think at the time fallon was you know it was peak Fallon. So, um, you know, we were most creatively awarded agency in the world at the time, uh, agency of the year for consecutive years. So it was going to have to be something pretty special to, to, to make me leave that. Um, and, and equally, I think, you know, Carl, who's one of the founders, um, uh, I think it wasn't just about how do, how do you get me? It was also the, the smarts to know if you want someone to do what you want them to do um, against that brief, then having, you know, having a stake in its success and being motivated. And we're super entrepreneurial as a company, so those are values of anomaly, which mean. It was never about, uh, well, if you want me to do this, I'm going to, you know, barter with this and I need this title. It just wasn't. It was like, right, that's an entrepreneurial company. There's a big, bold ambition. It's a startup. It clearly needs some help to to achieve what it wants to achieve. As I said before, that aligns with, A, my own values and also what I think I'm quite good at. And let's have a go. Were you nervous at all about the fact
1: that, were all the other five partners men yes how did that make you feel going into it mm.
0: i mean all my, my all my partners at Fallon were five men as well yeah. there were some parallels um and and i think again in in truth that's especially then that was not surprising that mm. was the standard thing so you i had been quite used to being um you know, one or, or or the only senior woman in in a room. I'd been very used to um, navigating the sort of classic structure, um, uh, so so it didn't make me feel anything um, uncomfortable from a I guess from a gender perspective or anything like that. Um, because I was used to it. Um, it does make you definitely, definitely kick the tires more on individuals, you know, and just like, are, again, going back to are they people that I can actually see myself working alongside with and having, regardless of gender, actually. But of course, if you're the only woman, those things. Are, are more apparent. Um is it a boys' club? Will I fit in, you know, and so so you have to be um really believe that you can impact that partnership mm. and you will like and respect those people. Mm. Um and and I was really lucky, you know, that's I, I've I've lucked out with the partners at Fallon and the partners um that I have and still have and the growing partnership and anomaly our structure is, you know, obviously different now and it's scaled and we've got many more offices and there are many female partners that, um, you know, I'm I'm really pleased that I've helped, you know, inspire and grow and, and, and cultivate. Um, but at the time, uh, I wasn't especially intimidated by that.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're into this new CEO position. You're in a new country, in a new city. What were your first 100 days like? What did you do to kind of really ease into this role? adapt into this role even.
0: It's probably the only time where I have actually had a plan. Yeah. Um because and I think that is a really good moment when you when you are joining a new job or the other time and I, I I love the end of year and I love the beginning of year because you you are much more um you know attuned to what are the things that this time of year is awesome. What are the thing what are the things that you must do before the end of the year. Yeah. What are the opportunities that you must seize at the beginning of next year? What are the problems that you cannot carry over into the new year? Uh, and I think when you start a new job, similarly, you're more conscious about how you arrive. Um, everyone is looking at you mm-hmm. when you come in, yeah. especially to an established structure. Every, so every everything you do is sending a message and i think that's true as a ceo anyway i think that's a really good thing but it's a really good thing to that all ceos should be super conscious of that it just comes with the job right it comes with the position that whatever you say and whatever you do Mm -hmm. is translated and has extra meaning because of the position so when when i arrived saying all that which is really really serious (laughs) i did some like Soft things. I, I mean, I, I, as a Brit, I uh, launch thirsty Thursdays. <laughs> so you I, enjoy drinking water all day. Of 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 course, <laughs> of, tea, course of course, yes, tea. of course, yes. <laughs> you know, just to create a more a, a bigger community and a, and a and you know work hard but also have a great time whilst doing it. Um, just the discipline around um certain structures and processes, you know, overhauled the process or instilled a process, um, Monday morning meetings, um, building department heads and true department heads, which the the agency didn't really have at the time. And, you know, just, as I said, putting the sort of the fundamentals in place for the first 90 days, in terms of the organisation of the office, um, But for me, what I wanted to do in the first 90 days was spend as much of my time as possible doing the things that I didn't know or hadn't been exposed to. So innovation is a huge part of what we do at Anomaly. I had never ever touched anything to do with, you know, new brand creation or white space identification and new product development, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what I spent a lot of my time doing kind of riding sidecar with um, our head of innovation in New York and personally, therefore, you know, really enjoying learning new skills and capabilities.
1: You do rise up in Anomaly. You spend how long uh, as president at, in New York and you become CEO?
0: Yes. So I, I ran the New York office for five years, I think, six years maybe. And then I took on a... Um, I took on a global role, um, uh, but as global COO first, um, and then uh, I've now been global CEO for four years. How does that happen? So,
1: you know, again, someone looking to step up into a global role, what was it about you that got you into that position? How did you get the, the, the into the global level?
0: I think having an appetite and, in again, not chasing a title, right? If you think about what does that actually mean to have a global role as opposed to how do I become a global COO or CEO, to me that goes down to what are the fundamentals of being really good in that position. Mm-hmm. And if you have a global remit, then, of course, you have to have curiosity uh, an ambition uh, a compassion for a much more diverse perspective right you're working with a broad range a really really broad range of clients you're working with the most diverse group of talent um, you're exploring new territories you're figuring out different cultures you know that's the, that's the that's the true skill of doing a global role well and how and knowing how to bring different teams together and what makes great casting and breaking down some of those silos breaking down some of the frankly sort of you know legacy perspectives or structures that can exist between markets or offices and and again we were really really clear at anomaly that because of our model we wanted to create a different type of global agency network that was very, very different to your typical agency network where I do think there are bad behaviors and there are um, egos and fiefdoms and separation and separate p that just create separation even though it's positioned to a client as a global solution. And what we were looking to do, at Anomaly, was to create a much more collaborative, much more connected group of people—850 people across the globe—and so I think why I was able to do that was that I I totally bought into that as a as a way of working, mm-hmm. and you know the Anomaly values are my values, so uh, I, 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 again, you're you've got a head start because you'll you 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 can do those types of you can you can fulfill that remit and candidly you can, you know, position that answer to clients or to talent in a convincing way mm. because you, believe, you it. believe it. Yeah. You know, it's it's, you. it's a lot you know, it's a lot easier to sell something when you believe it, yeah. right? You have you actually have conviction that this is the better answer.
1: Yeah, you don't have to be given a script. No, uh, this is this is what we need you to say. You you kind of speak from the heart. You believe it
0: exactly. And um, you know, at the time, again, we were we were expanding into the US. We were opening LA. Um, there was a, there was there was a lot of talk about moving to the West Coast and and making sure that that office started strong. Um, but that's from a purse from a from a personal perspective, my life was like, I didn't want to move my family again mm. um, for the East Coast to the West Coast. And um, so the global role was w- was a much better fit um, for me in terms of my career, but also, again, for a life choice. Did it mean going back to the UK for that? In, in, not initially, not initially. And uh, the move back to the, the UK was 100% driven by personal life choices so we'd been in the states for um seven years at the time my mom obviously had been you know back and forth from the US and visiting and everything but she was living on her own she's not getting any younger Mm. I was I was really keen to get back I, I I kind of felt a little bit selfish about being away and our eldest son um was 10 so we needed to make choices about his education and the classic are you going to do secondary school here or stay in the states? so that was my decision and you know incredibly supportive partners who said yeah no problem um you obviously can continue your role as long as you're prepared to travel and um make it work you know Mm. Becoming global CEO,
1: how does that come about? Do the the founding partners give you a call one day and say, hey, Karina, fancy global CEO? Uh,
0: No, no, not at all. (laughs) Um, In in, in a good way, I think we have been a lot more strategic about succession planning. And um, Carl and I have obviously worked incredibly closely together for, you know, thirteen years now. And explain who Carl is. Anyone who does so know. so so Carl's one of the founders of Anomaly um and is executive chairman. Mm-hmm. Um and he he and I essentially, you know, led led the business. Um and we've From what point were you sort of leading the business together? Well so so when I joined he was the global CEO and I was running new york which was you know the the um the first and biggest office and so it's it's become a very it was a very very natural progression um which is good for carl is good for me is good for the company so there's no there was never a hard cut or there was never a surprise or anything like that it's you know did you
1: discuss it from the start that he's the idea not not from
0: the start but from not from the start but but from relatively early on, yeah. um, you know, uh, we, and we've just worked well together.
1: Right. So yeah, it, it, what happened? He then put it, where, where did he move to open up that space as global? Well, so he yeah. just,
0: he, he, he took on the chairman role. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, a sort of broader portfolio of agencies within, um, the holding group. Um, and i think you know for anyone in e- either coming up through the ranks or similarly in a leadership position i think that is you know that's what everyone aspires to right knowing knowing your next knowing your successor no and being able to um shape them and grow them and um make sure for, for the benefit of the company that there is um, of course new skills and different perspective but also enough continuity mm-hmm. um, that isn't always the case okay of course people can be incredibly successful coming in fresh to a company but I think when when you have a very strong culture and when you have a unique model and value system you want the right amount of consistency and the right mm-hmm. amount of newness, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've been super conscious of as we grow, as we've grown the company into different markets and and obviously a lot more expansive in terms of just the total, you know, population of anomaly. Um, you're always trying to get that blend of um, ensuring that the values of the company and the way we do it and what does an anomaly mean now um, are really understood, as well as bringing in new talents to continue to accelerate and advance um, and expand the offering.
2: Mm. You're a working woman at 50. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, yep, yeah. proudly. Not to expose Just you, proudly. Proudly. proudly, Proud working yes. women at 50. Yes.
2: What does it mean to be in the world of work in 2023?
0: So I uh I am proudly 50 because it's very recent mm-hmm. um uh and so I turned 50 in June um a couple of months ago and had a massive party to celebrate it uh and I'm definitely not one of those people who are like oh I can't mention the number I had like 50 five five in zero zero. huge like huge <laughs> numbers lit up um just around the corner actually at White City um uh so A big celebration um and just enjoying this moment in life um I think when it comes to being a woman at 50 a working woman at 50 in 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 our industry I I think it's I think it's quite challenging um I think it it's a very dynamic time um so on the one hand you've got you know, like statistics sort of showing us that that women over 50 in the workforce is actually the fastest demographic, fastest growing demographic. Oh, well. That's so you've got that kind of dynamic happening whilst at the same time um, in the UK, you know, uh, as as the headlines show, it's also post the pandemic, you've got the biggest amount of people, men and women over 50 who are Economically inactive, mm-hmm. so not wor- not working and not looking to go back into work. So you've got this kind of, you know, interesting dynamic. I think, again, regardless of it being twenty twenty three, but it being a, a truth for 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 all women of all at uh, 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 that age, you've also got, you know, fundamental changes happening to a woman. Um, meaning the menopause yeah. or perimenopause which of course now is beginning to be a topic of conversation mm-hmm. rightly um but i think what comes with that for many women is um you know hormonal challenges a conf- you know a, a sort of crisis in confidence i think to your point about this particular moment in time i think there is still a an incredible residue post the pandemic where you've got women in general, you know, it did set um progress in gender equality back considerably. Um so you've also got that as a as a as a dynamic. And then I Why'd you say that? So in the pa- in, in the pandemic, you know, and this is sort of, you know, well documented, but um what happened I think is You know, um, unfortunately, it fell back typically and statistically it fell back on the women at the home Mm. to really step up more for the children who might have been being educated at home or obviously young children who weren't um, at school and needed full time care. So you had that as a significant impact on Women and their career. You had, a, of course, a lot more um, responsibility in the home in terms of just running the house, mm. you know. And that continues to be even if both, you know, even 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 if you know, both the parts of the family are are are, are it's it's a two career family. It's often typically the woman who picks up more so, of the household, I mean, the share of the household. Yeah. Um, and then I think going back to the, the age of a, you know, a 50 year old woman again is, is often more likely to fall into a position of having to look after caring for their parent. So it's, it's a, it's a convergence of quite a lot of things Mm -hmm. that make, you know, I do think it, I, I think it makes quite a challenging, um, environment, um that said that's the sort of doom and gloom side of it but I think equally you know why why I'm feeling pretty good about it as well is that it's also a moment in time where candidly you do feel a lot more confident about yourself as a woman Mm -hmm. you're not distracted by perhaps some of the things that played on you when you were younger Mm -hmm. you have more conviction about who you are you know who you are you know what what's important to you you know what you don't what you don't care about mm-hmm. and and what you shouldn't tolerate um you have experience right you know they say wisdom is the daughter of experience so you have all these things so i think i think it's a, a really interesting moment for our industry to actually focus more on the second part of that story mm-hmm. and look at opportunities i think ageism is probably you know, it's a remaining pillar, one of many, of course, but it's yep. a remaining pillar that hasn't properly been tackled in the sort of um, strive for greater diversity and mm-hmm. equity in our industry. Um, and so you've got ageism and sexism <laughs> as a as a bit of a melting pot at this age. And I think it's a massive opportunity for our industry and for companies to to actually be front footed about that and and tackle it in a really positive way what's your
1: message for any any woman listening now who is in their 50s approaching their 50s yeah uh in the world of work um on on how to thrive in this time and and um and what are the opportunities
0: i think recognize that it's a you know it is a turning point and it's only beginning to be raised in sort of i guess cultural conversation and things like that but now is therefore right uh, a, a a moment to have more confidence about what you offer a company and and of course you know our industry has always been you know it's an it it, it is a it, it's a young industry it's an industry that is obsessed with youth culture um for many right reasons, but also it, it has tended to ignore the fact that the older generation, especially now, have, you know, very high disposable income, mm-hmm. and um, women make up, you know, the 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 share of most purchase decisions in a lot of categories. So I think um, I would encourage them to be quite strategic about recognizing the value that they can bring to the business. Um, that they're in and and I I think similarly also being able to assess what skills you have so rather than seeing it as you know a weakness to overcome it's actually what and and I I always say the same to 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 women um, in our company who you know thinking of going off and having a baby or returning mums I think that's another time when companies are quite lazy and they're looking at that as a time of like oh they've been absent from their career or 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 women are sort of you know feel like oh what have i missed out or what have i you know and it's seen as a step back when actually it's another moment when you're when you become a mother you learn tremendous new skills and it's about positioning that to a company in a way that you can be quite confident in that actually I've got the ability now that I've been a mum I've got the ability to multitask in a way like no other or to to have the clarity of you know prioritization or or any any of these things like these are amazing skills of becoming a mother and, and a parent of course and I'm saying motherhood because there is an extraordinarily unfair situation that happens between men and women when they become parents. And not many people, this is not very talked about, but there is the motherhood penalty, which I think people are aware of. You know, most, most women often fall back in their career and it slows their career. Whereas what is even more alarming uh, and surprising is that it's the complete opposite for men so there is um statistically proven that fathers actually accelerate their earning power ab- above and beyond uh working mothers but also above and beyond single mm-hmm. women or men so is there the fatherhood gain so there's this sort of like really sort of the parenthood paradox of like It's actually an accelerant to become a father. Mm. I think it's, you know, I think whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, like just there's, of course, bias of the representation of responsibility that comes with fatherhood. Mm. There is recognition that they need to provide for their family. Mm. These are all just like obviously really entrenched Mm. perceptions. And, um, and then of course there's other things, there's sort of more sy- systemic things of, you know, when a, a woman is, takes more time off than a man in their career and there's there's gonna be a difference in or their their that that can internally to a difference in, you know, their 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 wages over time, et yeah. cetera, et cetera.
1: How did mm-hmm. you and, and your husband yep. manage this? This dynamic and yeah. raising children and yeah. the sharing of responsibilities and your career and his career. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's so easy. Really? <laughs> Not, <laughs> said no one ever. Um, no, I mean, it's like, God, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, um, but it is made a hell of a lot easier if you're lucky enough to have a partner who is awesome and supportive. Um, but it was. It was especially difficult when the kids were younger. Um, it was even more difficult when we moved to the US. Why is that? This might go back to your question about what you, why you should do a little bit more planning when you move um, country. Mm. Um, naively, we hadn't quite appreciated the challenge of visas. Uh. Um, so... Uh, I went to the US. Obviously, well, we went to the US for my career, um, and so uh, we were there on an O1, which is an amazing visa, mm-hmm. but it does mean that your spouse can't work. Wow! For which we long? hadn't just—I uh, mean, just re- really daft. Obviously, <laughs> just, we hadn't really interrogated so that. You got there, so we got there like myself. ah, mm, oh, yes. Mm. Uh, so, um, Dom, my husband, um, you know, it wasn't his his plan. Uh, but he found himself looking after our four-year-old and one-year-old uh, until we got a different... You know, we got green cards very quickly. I
1: see. He didn't um, just get to go off and play golf. He no,
0: so. no. Fortunately, he's not into golf. Well, I mean, probably once a year. But, um, yeah, which which was really hard at the time, really hard mm. for him, for sure, because it wasn't what he signed up for, because it's hard whether you're a man or a woman looking after a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, yes um and (laughs) and you're in a new country and you don't have any support structure Mm -hmm. right you'd have no family you don't know what's the right nursery school like you know we didn't we 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 didn't have any of that and i was in a new job so you're it's a demanding job you're looking to also prove yourself Mm -hmm. the working culture in the u.s is quite different to the uk at the time um Yeah, So, 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 so that wasn't easy at all. Um, but like anything, you, you know, you, you have to constantly assess and, 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 and make changes and, and make sure that you're always checking in with each other and you're not taking one another for granted, whichever way it is, right. Um, whether one's working, whether one's not working, um, uh, and and now since we relocated um back to the UK um m- my husband's uh, a writer uh, now and uh, and therefore that's given a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. to um the ability to travel the children are older anyway um but it was so whilst that first year of being in the US was difficult it was a blessing and he would say this as well Um, ultimately because we were able to settle the children and settle as a family without both being super, you know, manic Mm. from a career Mm -hmm. perspective. Okay.
1: Right, now I'd love to delve into how you do your role as a CEO. Delve into business because it's clear from your story, I think everybody listening can see that that senior leaders have have seen you and what you do, they've seen talent. They've seen someone who can perform, and you've constantly been given opportunities that you've you've earned, you know, um, rightly, because you're clearly very good at business and running a company. So I'd love to extract some of your wisdom and knowledge for people listening. You've mentioned that you need to feel the business mm-hmm. rather than just being across it. Yeah. Why do you say that, what does that mean?
0: What I mean by that is a a couple of things. First and foremost, what we do, we are successful at what we do because of our people. Mm -hmm. And therefore it isn't enough to see how it works on paper you have to be with the people you to feel the business and I mean that both from how you're supporting you know how I how how I work with and support my office CEOs um how I engage with my clients um how I visit the various offices it's not enough you have to feel for me you have to feel it you can't you can't get a true read on the health of a business or the health of a relationship without being really in it, um, and so that's an investment in time. And but it's so to me, it's so critical because even if you have a great rapport, even if you have all the standing meetings that you even have you, that you 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 want, even if you have all the structures in place, even if you know your people intimately. It's still not the same as being in it. So you've got six offices,
1: C yep. uh,
0: around the world. Yeah.
1: You said it's important you, that you're supporting the CEOs yep. of those. Yeah. How do you support them?
0: Uh, understand again, underst- that uh, well. uh, uh, understanding them as people. Right? They, they, they are. They all have the same position, but they're all in very, very different situations, personally, professionally, different markets, different challenges. So really investing the time to understand the nuances around their office, their office ambitions, but also them and where they are in their own personal development or what they might be challenged with in and out of. And the dynamic, again, when I talk about feeling the business, it's also feeling the relationship. The the success of any office comes down to the strength of the partnership and the leadership team. And someone can say something um but unless you're really there you spend time you're observing it you 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 don't really really know and I I think that's just as important for clients as well um I would say there are there are very different types of global CEOs and I think many of them are successful but they're successful in a much more distanced way um I don't enjoy that. You know, I enjoy being in it. Um, I think we all do At anomaly. We we often talk about we're sort of, you know, practitioners as much as leaders. We're we're doing what we do because we love our jobs, we love being in it, we love figuring out the work, we you know, we love all that still. So um feeling the business by spending time with people and in the work and figuring out the answers with teams to me isn't just a you know it's not just a checklist Or or I've done that one once a quarter go around and make sure everyone's okay or do the do the quarterly lunch with the CEO because they're our priority client or anything like that it's like that's just hygiene factor and that's personally that's a to me that's just not a motivating way for me to work I I, I like to be in it.
1: I'm trying to get specifically what that means so do you does that mean that you do you go on a intuition you're like okay I feel like I need to spend some more time in this this region I'm going spend I might need to spend two weeks here rather than yep. two days like, yeah how does it work yeah do you yeah have a,
0: it's, the... it's 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 both so we have you know obviously there are um you know standing meetings right there might be monthly board meetings there, there are there's set piece meetings where that is really important. And that is what I would say is the sort of structured process that helps any company run effectively, right? So you have to establish what those are, of course, and they'll be different for, but they're going to be the fundamentals, right? And uh, and it will be a fixed agenda. And those are the sort of set piece meetings. And I might have those, again, at an office level. Um, I might have them on a Weekly basis with, you know, my CFO or with my partners or or or, or whoever. So th- those are what I call fundamental set piece meetings. So it's which the is hygiene. Those Do are yeah, they're, and they're really important because my God, otherwise it's chaos. So I think and 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 it's chaos for for you, but also no one really knows what you want. No. Right. Well, so when those you turn
1: off. When you're, you call e-
0: exactly. So structure is really really. Important and uh, again, even if you're super entrepreneurial or you're scrappy as a sort of way of working, or you're entrepreneurial or you're a startup, structure is not a bad thing, Mm -hmm. right? Structure and process Mm. liberates people Mm. to be really awesome. If you if people know what they're expected to do and there are patterned behaviours and set pieces, those are I I think they're really really Fundamental, and we are a high performance culture. We strive for excellence. You don't, you can't be excellent you can't be excellent if you don't see excellence right and excellence is just patterned behavior right it's it's good habits hmm. and it's repetitive re- repetitive messaging and behaviors and values and all of those things so i would say all of those set pieces some are hygiene but they're they're more fundamental than that right they are really really critical fundamentals but above and beyond that when i talk about feeling the business it's exactly what you say it's like okay my instinct says The client said this not really buying it. Mm. I'm gonna get on a plane and I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna spend time and then I you know, so it's walking the walk and knowing what you want to, you know, what you what what you want to get out of it. Or you know what, they're putting on a brave face, they're saying everything's fine but bloody hell it's been a tough grind for them. Mm. So it will of course mean a huge difference for me to just there's no agenda I'm just coming over to hang out and spend time with you and we can catch up on whatever's you know on your plate whatever's keeping you up at night but also let's grab the team let's go have a dinner let's do the things that are really really important and mm. and actually of course make the job still fun <laughs> you know they're mm. like again they they they're super important things mm.
1: Did anybody teach you this? Did you read it in a book? Did you learn it from somebody else? Was this have you developed organically a style of leadership and the, of, of in this way?
0: I think it's all, or, or organic in so much as I think you. I would hope that everyone learns all the time from everyone, right? And and so I have been lucky enough, stroke smart enough to work with people that I can learn from all the time. And I would give that advice to anyone. If they're deliberating between a career choice, if they are they are at those crossroads and they're, if they're good, they're gonna have options, hopefully. What's the deciding factor? Who am I gonna learn the most from? I think is such a, um, and and equally throughout your career, you learn what not to do as well. So I would say my leadership style is, I think, Hopefully, a, you know, it's kind of like a tapestry of good experiences, less good experiences. What what, what do I see that I think, oh, God, you know, that's really awesome and that's helped me, so that could help someone else. And what are the things that I just actually... That worked for them, but it wouldn't work for me, or, frankly, I don't subscribe to that, so um, I'll leave that one behind. Mm, okay. um, but I, 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 I think... Though, that's the ideal, right? You're learning from, and I don't really learn from. I read, I I, I read certain books and principles and things like that, but I don't really. They, they're awesome in terms of sort of stimulus, but I think I'm 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 the best sort of the biggest believer of learning from do learning by doing experience. Yeah, yeah. I
2: I I've just really enjoyed hearing how you approach your your work. It's very it's very inspiring and it's very it takes again the human based approach but as you say like that didn't sound right i'm going to fly out there and make sure that they're okay and everything yeah that's that's a real duty of care for the for the person first and then for the business and yep. for, for everything else yes. i think that is a very unique way of approaching things that i don't think we've heard in that way before talent is important mm-hmm. which is a common phrase yeah But what exactly do you do practically
0: in this area? I mean, it's all about the talent, right? And I think, I'm sure everyone you've interviewed has talked about talent, used that word, and the importance of talent and the war for talent and all of these kind of things that become somewhat cliché, I think. Um, For me, it's about recognising that there is great talent everywhere, but identifying talent that will do well in your company um and what i definitely don't mean by that is a homogenous group of people who all think the same thing and do the same thing and that's like you know that's the sort of like that's the worst thing that any creative company could could build right because it is the antithesis i think of Stimulus and innovation and diversity of thought and all of those things that we know um, to be, you know, a real catalyst to creativity and, and, and commercial value, frankly. But I, I do think it's important to have principles of what good talent looks like for your company yeah, um, and help provide a platform for that talent and signal what those behaviours are and reward the people who also display those behaviours. So, as I said, you know, things like when you talk about high performance, what does that actually mean? When you talk about being entrepreneurial, what does that actually mean? And breaking that down for people so that they can see if that fits with their own ambitions. Uh, so we, ha- you know, I mean, in terms of specifically, we invest a lot in um, nurturing talent, retaining talent, growing talent, identifying talent. We're very, very open to which industries people have come from, which backgrounds people have come from. There isn't, there is, there is a shared DNA within Anomaly around ambition, but there is definitely no one size fits all Mm. of, of, of backgrounds or skill sets. The whole, the whole premise of the company is built on, you know, a a real eclectic mix. Um, But we have our own program called DNA, which is a um, online and live training and development program and platform. It's there to, as I said, to help people really understand how they can be good mm. and how they can be great at anomaly um because people can be great anywhere but they can't necessarily be great at anomaly yeah
2: i guess great great is defined by the values yeah culture and expectations yep. of any given organization
0: yeah yeah mm. and i think in our culture great talent is given you know autonomy mm. um we we like to bet on ourselves you know as a company we have confidence in the work that we do and i would say that translates into how we our view on talent there isn't a a kind of band you know a, a sort of traditional perspective on you've got to be this old to have this title or this job you've got to have these years of experience to have earned the right to have this perspective or because you have this title, or you're from this department, you get to determine the answer. We do, we we don't subscribe to any of those things. You know, uh, if you're good enough, you're old enough. You know, there, there, there's a much more um, open and dynamic approach to talent uh, at Anomaly, um, and I think that's a that really works for some people, and it and it doesn't. Candidly, it doesn't work for other people, and yeah. which is, I think, a really good thing. Mm, definitely.
1: Well, that is the story of how you wow. became partner and global CEO of Anomaly.
0: How indulgent.
1: Well, there's a lot of people can learn from it. And I think one of the key, well, before we get to that, I'm going to summarize what people can learn. We've got a poem coming up. But uh, a couple of questions on, we talked about the past, now talk, looking at the future. Um, as you know, Ash and I, we have Unified Creative, this industry movement bringing leaders together to talk about big industry challenges. Yeah. If you were to bring together leaders across the industry from all parts, yep. and discuss solutions to an industry challenge, what challenge would you do you feel the industry needs to do better on it, at unifying and coming together on to change?
0: It won't be an original answer, because, and I sort of, I'm I'm not, I don't feel bad about that, but um, because I think it is still such a fundamental issue, I would, you know, just building off, given the conversation we were just having, I would say that we still have so much work to do around talent. I think we have a growing challenge as an industry um, to actually represent an attractive, career choice for great talent and great creative talent I think we still have been incredibly slow to break down ways of working and structures and things like that you know it's everything that obviously you both are awesome at championing and at the forefront of 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 really looking to help accelerate some of that change but I think it is slow so to me it's almost naive to go okay what's the next challenge that we could all come together as leaders of the industry it's like recognizing that there is a significant issue and recognizing that the answer to what we do and being awesome at what we do is talent And obviously ai aside and all of the mm-hmm. wonderful that's a whole other hour and a half conversation yeah. but the you you know the the, the magic and the you the kind of this, the, why, our, why our industry is special is that it's built on the premise of creative collisions and innovative thinking and never been seen before and the rules and all of these things and yet we have sleepwalked into not recognizing that the demographics of The UK, the US, they've just changed so wildly Mm. Um, and there's such a delta between the demographics of the country and the demographics of our industry Mm. and yet we are paid by our clients to engage with the people that they want to establish relationships with. Um, so, So for me, until that is... Advanced, I think it's yeah. For, for me personally, that isn't. Uh, it's not like all right, you know. Hmm. Next on the list, still AOB. Yeah.
1: <laughs> still work to do. Still work to Absolutely. do. Absolutely.
2: What is the change that you would like to be able to leave the industry knowing that you were a part of? Now we've got talent as one, but is there something else that you personally could think? You know what? Put time into that, and now see how it's grown.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think and industry level I think it's anomaly I think the mission of the company is to be a positive change agent within the industry and so to have been a part of that mission and hopefully to be successful to some degree the brilliant thing of course of that mission is it's never done yeah. <laughs> so so it's not my legacy it's not you know the founder's legacy it is it's a concept right it's a it's an ambition it isn't it's m- much bigger about than the names above a door and I think that's what drew me to Anomaly and so if I'm going you know if, if I project forward and want to see what did I have a hand in leaving within the industry I would say it would be successfully challenging the status quo of the industry and trying to break down some of the historical assumptions, whether that is what an agency delivers for a client, whether that's the makeup of uh, an agency, whether that's, you know, the output, the breadth of output that one single agency is capable of, um, that's that's what I'd be delighted if, if we
1: continue to achieve that. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think, yeah, one of the big things people can learn from your story in your life, one is um, the the way that you think about things and therefore the way that you lead and operate as a CEO or just have maybe operated throughout your career is is quite unique and, and is often maybe there's aspects to it that are undervalued. So you talking about basing decisions on intuition, you know, basing decisions on gut and feel yeah less so now but definitely before would have been seen um and still now yeah as a bit wishy-washy a yeah. bit soft skills a bit yeah. yeah well how do I measure that yeah you know, how do I write that in a book yeah yeah and and so it can be so easy to
0: undervalue that but that yeah. is of high value because it's hard to teach that it's hard to teach but I think I think that is the real world I think there's almost like a, in, 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 in a perceived wisdom of business, people talk about what's the business plan? And actually most business plans are completely made up. It's a founder who's got a point of view and an ambition, and then they have the conviction to do it. Uh-huh. Right? So you go the most successful companies in the world or the modern marketing brands that have been successful in this day and age, or the creative adjacencies and the talent that's coming through the rank. It's, to me, rather than it being a sort of wishy-washy, it's just the real world. Mm-hmm. I think people hide behind, like I said, perceived wisdom of the 100-day plan, the business plan, the set piece, the marketing programs, all of these things. The job is to figure it out in the real world and and land something successful with real people that will achieve something out there, not not in the boardroom. Mm,
1: definitely, I th- I think there's this beauty of mix which you've talked about of blending structure and unstructure, you yeah. know, and yeah. and uh, and fluidity, yeah, um, you know, flex flow approach yeah. to to business, yeah, yeah. is. So key. Yeah. Um, and again, hard, kind of hard to teach, but you, you kind of you get it from experience. You've had a lot of experience now. Yeah. You're obviously someone who who learns from their experience, learns from things that go well and don't go well and have that right mindset for it. Um, and it, I get the sense that you sort of you, you trust yourself and trust your decisions like with your move to New York. It's like, OK, just don't overthink it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feels right. You know, um, I'm gonna go and let's see see what happens.
0: Check the visa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's it. Sometimes yeah, you know, we
1: kind of yeah. have the approach things, yeah. you know, don't work out, but you learn yeah. from it and you move on. Um, but I think I think it's super valuable and very helpful for people to hear that it's not all about following the textbook and doing things yeah. in the textbook mas- fashion, but developing this ability within oneself to to make decisions based off.
0: What's the worst that could happen?
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And the feeling aspect, um, which I think is the, is the thing that more so innately is within a woman as opposed to a man is this innate, um, uh, yeah. Intuition and feeling about, about things, about people, which is the, we were talking about the positives of being a mother. It's one of the huge ones I think, which could really be, leaned on and leveraged
0: yeah yeah no I, I I think that's right I think there's the I think all of that is you know and it it, it also I think it creates a resilience actually that is again really really important to success
1: mm. Mm.
0: great okay that's that's me done
1: yeah
2: I think there's one thing I wrote down when I when we we're going through the earlier parts of your story Kind of made a new word, but I feel like one of the things that assists people in, in their journey upwards, if that's the way they're inclined, is dependable capacity, right? In terms of capacity. Capacity. That's oh, a nice word. Right. You get it, right? Because there's the, yeah. the, the, the dependability. If you're dependable, people know they can come to you. Yeah. The second after that, if you have that capacity and that ability, then. You can continue to grow and people can continue to come to you with issues, challenges, whatever it may be, responsibilities. So that was the one thing that just like drew me down. To
1: well, it. we had Rupert on the show who was previously at Cambridge Press. Mm-hmm. So speak to them or Oxford Dictionary. Yeah, let's get it, let's get it in there. The yeah,
0: let's get it in. <laughs> yeah. Word for twenty three. Word for twenty three. Yeah. If Google yeah. can make it. In the exactly, dictionary, yeah. exactly, uh, exactly.
1: True. I love it. <laughs> what was the other one? Was it compare the Meerkat? cat? Did something go in the dictionary for that? One of those, one of those. This undo it, uh, Dougie's episode.
2: (laughs) Well, well, I created this poem. I think it summarises a lot of what I've taken from today. Difficult to define, could this be an early sign of a determined young Karina's career? By being upfront and honest, she moved up from typing in office to a new role in just half a year. Being accountable to deliver, can show you what to consider when you're going up above and beyond and not being fixated on chasing a title, whether it's over here at home or across the pond. Global roles include exploration and curiosity, and by being different and taking your own approach, you might well stand out as the true anomaly. To keep both ears open, fingers on the pulse, is how you can get the most out of a meeting. And that's how you can strive for true greatness when you gain the essence of that real and true feeling.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank Thank you. You So impressed. It's (laughs) like, how do you just like, you're doing everything. That's multitasking. I talked about (laughs) like, (laughs) wow, brilliant. Thank you so much.
1: That's the story of how you became partner and global CEO of Anomaly. Anomaly.
0: Thank you both. Thank you.